Today is March the 30th, 2022. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the Internet. Podcast of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. I'm eagerly looking forward to returning into the studio for live calls from you, the listening audience. In the meantime, you can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. John Roche, one of the early pioneers of the personal computer, passed away at age 83. John Roche, a marketing visionary who helped make the home computer ubiquitous in the late 1970s by introducing the fully assembled Tandy TRS-80 for $600 through Radio Shack chain stores, John Roche joined the Tandy Corporation, a Texas conglomerate that was founded as a leather goods company and included Radio Shack and its thousands of franchise dealers. He was instrumental in prodding Tandy to venture into the computer market. At the time, most small computers were sold as kits to be assembled by hobbyists. But John Roche believed that consumers would welcome a model that they just needed to just plug in and it'll work. His team presented the original TRS-80 prototype put together from a black-and-white RCA monitor, a keyboard, and a video cassette recorder in January of 1977. The Apple I had been introduced the year before, and Commodore and other companies were marketing their own home computers. But the TRS-80, oh, by the way, the initials TRS-80 stood for Tandy Radio Shack, quickly became, for a time, the most popular computer on the market. At just under $600, which in today's money is about $2,700. It was available in all 8,000 of the company stores. Tandy recruited Bill Gates and Paul Allen, the future founders of Microsoft, to write exclusive software for personal, home, and small business purposes and for games for the machine. The TRS-80 was considered so novel that a model was later acquired for the collection of the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Tandy's early dominance would wither as competitors developed models that were equally inexpensive or offered faster speeds and greater functionality. By 1991, the company's share of the domestic home computer market had contracted to 3.5%. It had been as much as 40% in 1981. The U.S. Federal Trade Commission has issued a complaint against Intuit over its TurboTax software, alleging the company is deceiving consumers by calling its tax filing software free. Millions of people cannot use the free program. The Federal Trade Commission yesterday said around 66% of all tax filers could not use the free TurboTax product in 2020, according to the FTC. It's not available to those with 1099 form, 
for work in the gig economy, or for those earning a farm income, for example. TurboTax is bombarding consumers with ads for free tax filing services and then hitting them with charges when it's time to file, said the Director of Bureau of Consumer Protection. We are asking a court to immediately halt this bait-and-switch and to protect taxpayers at the peak of the filing season. The Federal Trade Commission is seeking a court order to halt Intuit from running what the FTC calls its deceptive advertising now, pointing to an ad that had a disclaimer on the screen, while a voiceover said, TurboTax free! It's free! 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 Intuit called the FTC's arguments simply not credible in a statement, adding that almost 100 million Americans have filed their taxes for free over the last eight years using TurboTax. Far from steering taxpayers away from free tax preparation offerings, he said our free advertising campaigns have led to more Americans filing their taxes for free than ever before and have been central to raising awareness of free tax prep, said the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for Intuit. Just a reminder, on the deadline to file your tax return is not April 15th. The deadline was pushed from April 15th because of Emancipation Day, which is a holiday in Washington, D.C. Tax filers in Maine and Massachusetts, however, will be able to submit their taxes until April the 19th because of Patriot's Day on April the 18th. If you plan on requesting an extension, you'll need to request one by April the 18th, and you'll have until October the 17th of this year to file your return. The COBOL Programming Language The Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that the job outlook for the computer programmers is declining, but COBOL programmers are still in demand by companies that use COBOL for their daily operations. Despite now being over 60 years old, COBOL is very much alive, well and relevant. The last two standards were COBOL 2002, which introduced object-oriented programming, and COBOL 2014, which, among other things, added the IEEE 754 floating-point arithmetic handling method, overloading, and dynamic capacity tables. Over on the commercial side of things, IBM introduced a 64-bit compiler for AIX and later a native x86 one. Microfocus Visual COBOL lets you build for .NET and Cloudflare will run it on the cloud. Yes, new books about learning COBOL are being published. There's considerable demand for COBOL programmers, ever since the Y2K problem. Old hands have been coming out of retirement, at premium rates of course, and now they're dying off, and increasingly desperate COBOL users were previously appealing for volunteers to help. If you can wrap your head around this relatively simple but verbose language, you are basically guaranteed a job. It may be over 60 years old, but the COBOL programming language is still in active development. The newly announced G-COBOL compiler is a fresh front-end for GCC and builds native binary executables. The announcement for G-COBOL says, Our project should not be confused with GNU-COBOL. That project is a COBOL translator. It compiles COBOL to C and invokes GCC to produce executable code. 
There's nothing wrong with GNU COBOL. It's mature, in active development, and it supports various COBOL standards and dialects. If you want to brush up and learn COBOL programming, you can download a free COBOL compiler for Windows 10. GNU COBOL, formerly Open COBOL, is available from, and I'll give you the uh, search words to use, GNU, that's G-N-U, COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, space, download, space, sourceforge.net. Happy programming! Cord cutting. Goodbye cable, hello streaming. Unlike the record business or print newspapers, which seemingly fell off a cliff, people have slowly abandoned their cable TV subscriptions. The cable industry TV subscription business has taken its time, well, fading into the background. Known as cord cutting, it's a process where people drop a traditional paid television subscription for a variety of streaming services. It's a phenomenon that has been happening for years, but now it's accelerating. It's worth noting that Comcast, Charter, and other traditional cable players have generally added as many, if not more, internet customers to make up for their cable losses. That's because leading streaming services can be bought by anyone, anywhere, while the internet still has a monopoly in significant parts of the United States. At least 49.7 million Americans only have access to broadband from one of the seven largest cable and telephone companies. In total, at least 83.3 million Americans can only access broadband through a single provider. Cable loses even more subscribers. The data company found that the largest pay TV providers in the United States, representing about 93% of the market, lost about 4.7 million net video subscribers in 2021, compared to the net loss of about 4.8 million in 2020. The top pay TV companies now have 76.1 million subscribers. That's a number that's actually worse than it looks because 7.9 million of those customers subscribe to lower-cost streaming cable TV bundles. Cable's numbers began declining in 2014, when the industry lost just over 100,000 customers. The numbers accelerated steadily, climbing over 1 million in 2017, before doubling in 2018, then again in 2019, before settling at a current rate of around 4.6 to 4.9 million subscribers per year. On a percentage of the whole, cable losses have been growing, and that seems unlikely to change anytime soon. What is the impact of cable's cord cutting? Cord cutting does not just impact Comcast, Charter, ATT, and other big cable companies. It also has a ripple effect across the entire cable television industry. Essentially, the traditional cable bundles serve as a sort of TV socialism. You pay for the channels you watch and the ones you don't watch. Content companies, which are the channel owners, gets everywhere from few cents to around $9 per subscriber for Disney's ESPN family of channels. When people cut the cord, those channel owners get less money, leading to things like ESPN laying off hundreds of people, including some big-name on-air talents, and channel closures like ESPN Classic and Comcast NBC Sports Network. As cable shrinks, niche channels become less viable. 
Some will support themselves via streaming services, while others will either cut their budgets or go dark altogether. That creates a cycle where your cable subscription becomes even less valuable, leading to more people cutting the cord. It's a cable death cycle, although like newspapers and physical records and CDs, the total will likely not hit zero, at least not for a few more years. Comcast and Charter have generally covered their losses in cable with broadband additions. AT&T has already taken a nearly $15 billion write-off charge when it spun off its DirecTV business. AT&T paid $67 billion for DirecTV, a number that includes debt, when it bought the company back in 2015. Bad apps caught hiding in the Google Play Store. Check your phone. More bad apps caught hiding in the Google Play Store. The official Google Play Store is the only place you should download applications for your Android devices. Third-party stores don't have a robust vetting process and offer harbor dangerous malware. But what happens when the official app store is also a source for spreading malware? Inadvertently becoming infected with malicious applications is a real threat. Google has security checks in place, but cyber criminals have become more crafty in circumventing detection. Well, here's the backstory. In theory, Google's Play Store for Android application should be devoid of security threats, Trojans, and malware. That's because every app in the store goes through a vetting process, and Google denies applications that don't conform to its rules. But criminals have found a way around the vetting process. An investigation by Dr. Webb found the Google Play Store is plagued with malware and Trojans. The analysis shows a WhatsApp clones that were used to spread malware. These apps have been downloaded by many. Gone by GB WhatsApp, OB WhatsApp, or WhatsApp Plus. They accounted for almost 25% of all infections tracked. It is noted that many malicious apps come from the Android.FakeApp family. Apps that were compromised in the Google Play Store include GB WhatsApp, which was designed to steal notification content like one-time pins, two-factor authentication codes, or login details. Then there's Adorn Photo Pro, a Trojan that targets confidential information such as Facebook and Instagram credentials. Another one is Up Your Mobile, Morph Faces, and Top Navigator, Trojans from the Android Dot subscription family. Their purpose is to subscribe victims to paid mobile services. Another one is Chain Reaction. This app claims to help you invest in certain companies without you having to do anything. However, the fake app didn't invest any money, but instead siphoned funds to scammers. What can you do about it? Well, even if you download applications only through the Google Play Store, you still need to make sure they are legitimate. Cyber criminals are tricky and will find ways to outsmart the vetting process for a little while. But Google will eventually find the culprits and remove them. Many of the malicious apps in Dr. Webb's investigation have already been removed from the Google Play Store. What else can you do to protect against malware? Read the reviews and comments before you download or install an app.
If the rating is bad, stay clear of it. Android users will be quick to give it a bad review or leave a comment if it is a scam. Before completing the installation process, carefully read the app's permissions. Ensure it doesn't access any personal information or override your mobile phone's actions. After installing a new app, keep an eye on your battery level. If it drains faster than expected, the newly installed app could be handling unwanted processes in the background. ASML is the next bottleneck in chip manufacturing. ASML, or Advanced Semiconductor Materials Lithography, is a Dutch company that produces various types of photolithography machines that are used to produce semiconductors. They are the world leader in their field, and their machines are used by Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor to do the physical etching of the silicon wafers that semiconductors are produced from. ASML CEO has been stating that the company can't keep up with demand. The company isn't expecting to fulfill orders for at least the next couple of years, despite expecting to ship more machines this year than last year, and more machines next year than this year, as each of these machines are largely custom-made for its customers and hand-built. Due to the low production volumes, it takes a lot of time to construct each of these huge machines. He said that it would take time to step up their capacity significantly, more than 50%. With some 700 different component suppliers, of which 200 are said to be critical, a lot also depends on its partners. If ASML is going to be able to increase its production volume, one of its key partners is Carl Zeiss. They supply the optical lens used in the machines as part of the etching process. Carl Zeiss is currently unable to ramp their production of lens at the speed that ASML needs them, and as such, trying to push Zeiss into building a new clean room factory so more lens can be produced. Once a factory is ready, they need to order the manufacturing equipment, they need to hire people, and then it takes more than 12 months to make the lens. This doesn't take into account the extra staff that ASML needs at its own factories to be able to ramp up production, although the company has been working on this and other issues for some time already. ASML doesn't have any direct competitors either, so it's not as if Intel or Taiwan Semiconductor and all the other foundries out there can turn to someone else for these machines, which places ASML in what one would call a monopoly position. Intel has to rely on the same supplier as everyone else for the machines that are needed to make its chips. There's a hacker group that's been in the news, Lapsus Dollar. Researchers suspect a 16-year-old to be Lapsus Dollar's mastermind. The Lapsus hacking group has made quite a splash in the recent weeks as it has managed to infiltrate and steal confidential information from corporate networks belonging to Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Samsung. Researchers investigating the attacks believe that the group was led by a 16-year-old from England who was assisted by another teenager from Brazil, which might explain why the group did not behave like other contemporary hackers. Four investigators 
looking into lapsus dollars on behalf of attack companies, suspect that the mastermind of the group is a 16-year-old who lives with his mother in Oxford, England, as reported by Bloomberg News. Another member of the group is a teenager from Brazil who is said to be so capable of hacking that investigators at first believed that the activity they were witnessing was automated. So far, law enforcers have not formally charged the suspects with any wrongdoing. The group includes at least seven members. Like other hacking groups seeking profits, Lapsus Dollars intrudes corporate networks of companies, steal confidential data, and then demand ransom for not releasing it. That in addition to profits, notoriety is another motive that drives the group. Furthermore, the group has poor operational security, which means that they themselves can be hacked, according to Microsoft, which caused the group DEV0537, or DEV0537. Unlike most activity groups that stay under the radar, DEV0537 doesn't seem to cover its tracks. A Microsoft blog post read, They go as far as announcing their attacks on social media or advertising their intent to buy credentials from employees of target organizations. DEV0537 also uses several tactics that are less frequently used by other threat actors tracked by Microsoft. DEV0537 focus their social engineering efforts to gather information about their target's business operations. Such information includes knowledge about employees, team structures, help desks, crisis response workflows, and supply chain relationships. Given the way Lapsus Dollar operates, it is evident that the organization is rather large and includes members with different skill sets. Assuming that we are indeed dealing with a large organization, we can only wonder whether it could indeed be led by a teenager. Assuming that the researchers have correctly identified members of the group and its leaders, it would only be a question of time before it is cracked. However, hacking groups using similar tactics, techniques, and procedures will likely emerge in the future. Microsoft believes that fighting hacking groups like Lapsus Dollar involves not only usual cybersecurity methods, but also things like insider risk programs. As a result, Microsoft not only recommends implementing more robust security methods, but reviewing things like help desk policies, educating employees, and recommending members of technical teams to report any unusual contacts with colleagues. With the sanctions placed on Russia, they are facing equipment shortage and IT personnel exodus. With the Western equipment supplies exiting the market and not selling parts to Russia entities anymore, the first notable service outages may start as early as this summer. Additionally, the price of equipment still available for purchase has risen by 40%. If the ruble continues to depreciate, the economic complications for service providers will get even more severe. Capital expenditures of the largest telecom operators will grow from 390 billion rubles in 2021 to 450 billion rubles. In 2022, even with the reduction of investment programs. 
Another big headache for IT firms in Russia is the manifestation of a mass exodus of skilled personnel fleeing the country in herds. The outflow of IT specialists has been quite massive since the end of February. Russia's RSPP, which is the Commission for Communications and IT, warned that the industry may lose up to 30% of all highly qualified specialists in the following months, leading to a general deterioration through the degradation of the provided services and its impact on all sectors. According to the latest data provided by the Russian Association for Electronic Communications, between 50,000 and 70,000 IT experts have already left the country, and another 100,000 may do the same by April. A large number of the IT specialists left Russia in late February through March. According to the head of InfoWatch, they are young people largely connected with the West who worked on Western hardware. Many foreign companies canceled or changed contracts, began to reduce and freeze investments due to the unstable situation. It was reported that many of those who left did not resign. Russia temporarily exempted young IT workers from military service after an exodus of programmers following Moscow's military operation in Ukraine. Military service is compulsory in Russia for men aged between 18 and 27. Many try to evade service through medical or educational exemptions, while some simply ignore the summons. Men aged 27 and under who worked in IT companies can get a postponement of their military service, according to a decree published on a government portal. They must also hold a university degree and have worked in an IT company for at least one year. Companies seeking delayed military service for their workers must send in a list to the relevant authorities by May 1st. It also said students with university degrees in over 60 subjects can apply for the same exemption, including mathematics, applied computer science, and radio engineering. Russia's Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin said in a statement, it is important not to allow the slowing down of the pace of development of the IT sector in our country, even under sanctions. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell, Physical and Mental Health Working from Home. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, technology, but also how they impact you and the workplace and how the workplace impacts you. And I want to talk about some habits I want you to build with a whole work from home concept. These are habits that actually really apply across the board. It doesn't matter if you're back in the office or if you are in a situation where you're already working. You've never been working from home. But I want you to practice these. The first one is basic. It's simple. It's get up and move. I want you out of that chair. I want you to move about whether we're talking in the office or more likely, at home. 
Move out to the house. Move around. Get some energy. I, I want you to do this just five minutes. Just a short amount. If you've got a small house, I mean, go outside. And just do a quick lap around your home. Whatever it is. And I, I don't care what it is. Other than... Every couple of hours, I want you to get out, get away from the computer for just a few minutes. Now, along with this, I want you to take your breaks. Uh, And we're talking, okay, so I drink tea. And I do a tea break on a regular basis throughout the day. You can do coffee. You can do water, and I'll talk about hydration here in a minute. Uh, But the key thing here is with your break, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to, and again, a lot of this is geared up for that whole working from home concept, but I want you to connect with a friend from the office. I want you to practice that whole, okay, I'm going to call it water cooler talk. I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking, did you see what Jane said? No, none of that. What I want is the brainless meeting up and venting or talking about the weather or gaining counseling or mentoring. Talk about whatever it is, whether it's sports or it's television or whatever it is. But I want you to communicate with a number of people regularly like this. Now, don't overdo it. Don't don't spend your entire day doing the water cooler talk. But, you know, a, a matter of five minutes, just escaping for, for just a few. And, and do this a couple of times a day. Now, I also want you to take lunch. The latest statistics say that 40% of us are not taking lunch. Now, this is going to throw off a lot of different things. I want you to make sure that you are taking that midday break. I, I want you to do your personal items there, you know, whatever it is that you're you're dealing with. But I also want you to eat I also want you to keep up boundaries that are going to come back whenever we get back into the office. So you have to take lunch. You have to eat. And yes, occasionally go on out. You know, I mean, if you're working from home, but you're local to the office and you've got a few people that are local to you, go on out, have lunch with just one of them. And, and just go out to lunch and just escape. This is going to energize you. The, the, just the daily lunch, but also that weekly lunch of seeing one of those people. It's going to nourish you both physically, but also mentally. And you'll find that productivity increases if you are well fed. If you're taking your breaks and your lunches. So it, it's well worth it. Now, I do want you to consume enough water, and yes, the 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 break, the lunch, that's all going to help, but I want you to have water near your desk. I mean, not you got to be careful. I mean, we don't want you spilling water on your computer, so I drink tea. I use a spill-proof, uh, it's, it's a, it's a company is called Bubba Cup, and I love it, and it, 
you know, it's it keeps the tea warm. It's it provides me enough. I know that if I have a couple of those in a day, I'm going to be hydrated, but I'm also going to be happy. So this is this is vital. This liquid intake is going to really help. Now, at the end of the day, I want you to just unwind. I want you to do something brainless, something simple. I want you, in a way, I want you to think about commuting. When you commute, you've you've worked your entire day, and maybe it's 15 minutes, it's 20 minutes, it's half an hour, but you go on out to the car and you drive that distance. You're listening to the radio and you're just kind of getting from point A to point B. It, it almost becomes mind-numbing, but that's actually good. I want you to have that fake commute. Now, if you have a one-hour commute, d- don't duplicate the one hour. Spend 15 to 20 minutes listening to a fun podcast, reading a book, or simply escaping the tech and your job every day and separate your day from work life into home life. Lastly, I want you to make sure you've got a medical checkup. I want you to make sure that you've seen the doctor sometime in the last year and the dentist and the eye doctor. Make those appointments because those are going to be about your long-term physical health. This is this is a must. This is uh, almost everything here is something that I'm already practicing. And yes, I'm preaching about it too. Please take care of yourself. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. The Internet has changed the way military battles are fought today. Ukraine is using Elon Musk Starlink for drone attacks. Elon Musk satellites are connecting Ukraine with the Internet. Starlink was conceived as a civilian program but Ukraine military can also use it to guide drones and strike Russian tanks and positions. Just after Russia's invasion began in late February, Ukrainian Vice Prime Minister Fedorov took to Twitter to ask U.S. billionaire Elon Musk to activate the Starlink satellites for use in Ukraine. Musk swiftly tweeted his response, Starlink service is now active in Ukraine. More terminals en route. Soon after, a number of terminals and powerful batteries arrive in Ukraine. Others soon followed. Fedorov took to Twitter again to express his gratitude. Starlink here, thanks. No secret dispatches, no long debates, no governmental or parliamentary controls, just a very public deal between a politician whose country has been attacked and a billionaire who seemed to be playing a significant role in Ukraine's defense. British media have reported that Ukraine's army is making very successful use of Starlink for drone attacks on Russian tanks and positions. The Telegraph reported that Starlink is of particular military significance in areas where the infrastructure is weak and there is no internet connection. According to the Telegraph, the Aerial Reconnaissance Unit is using Starlink to monitor and coordinate unmanned aerial vehicles, enabling soldiers to fire anti-tank weapons with targeted precision. An officer with the Aerial Reconnaissance Unit described the system 
to the times as follows. We use Starlink equipment and connect the drone team with our artillery team. If we use a drone with thermal vision at night, the drone must connect through Starlink to the artillery guy and create target acquisition. The Times reported that the aerial reconnaissance team runs about 300 information-gathering missions each day. Attacks are then carried out at night because the drones, some of which are equipped with thermal cameras, are almost impossible to see in the dark. Starlink satellites are intended to provide internet to under-supplied regions far from urban centers. Few, however, had imagined that its initial use would be in a European war zone. Ukrainians have, or have regained, access to information, according to the Telegraph. Starlink is one of the most popular app downloads in Ukraine, enabling more than 100,000 people to stay updated about what is happening in the war and to keep in touch with the outside world. Ukrainian President Zelensky uses the Starlink satellites to make speeches to the nation and to national parliaments around the world. Quite apart from its military usefulness, Starlink has become vital to Ukraine, both for obtaining worldwide support and for maintaining the unbroken resistance of the people. With Russia trying to target and destroy Ukrainian infrastructure, including power and internet, the connection will likely be even more important in the coming weeks and months. This, of course, also means that Starlink reception dishes, which are not exactly inconspicuous, will be targets for Russian troops. The biggest danger, however, is that the reception equipment can be geolocated while in operation. Shortly after the first terminals were delivered in early March, Musk tweeted, Turn on Starlink only when needed, and place antenna as far away from people as possible. In addition to targeted attacks, Russia is apparently also trying to use jammers to block internet access from space. But SpaceX says it already has a solution. On Twitter, Musk wrote that a new software update lowers power consumption and can bypass jamming transmitters. The Kremlin considers Musk's support of Ukraine an aggression, calling Starlink's activities interference. Elon's Musk satellites are connecting Ukraine with the Internet. Starlink was conceived as a civilian program. Musk's response was, Bad weather, perhaps? So SpaceX is helping it, he tweeted. Lithium is a critical mineral in the supply chain. Research on the lithium-ion battery started in the early 1980s, and the first commercialization was achieved in 1991. Since then, the lithium-ion battery has grown to become the dominant power storage solution. The growth of the market is attributed to the growing demand for the lithium-ion battery in electric vehicles and grid storage as it offers high-energy density solutions and lightweight. With the target of reducing carbon emission across the globe, the demand for energy-efficient solutions like lithium-ion batteries is expected to increase. The United States needs new lithium sources as demand for batteries grows. The supply chain for lithium and other critical minerals touches geopolitical, environmental, 
and economic issues that currently lies outside the United States' direct control. According to the 2021 BP Statistical Review, China has 7.9% of the world's lithium's reserves. The United States has 4%, while the majority of reserves are in South America and Australia. China has become the third largest lithium producer in the world, spending over $60 billion over the past decade to build up the industry. To shore up production at home, the administration is giving $35 million to American mining company MP Materials to strengthen MP's ability to process rare earth materials domestically for U.S. manufacturing. The initiative is part of an effort to make the U.S. less dependent on foreign products amid the supply chain disruptions that have helped fuel inflation. There is discussion of efforts to extract lithium from around California's Salton Sea and estimated that U.S. demand for the material will increase by 400 to 600 percent over the next several decades. The growth of electric vehicle companies such as Tesla will require much more lithium to make batteries. The United States will need far more lithium to achieve its clean energy goals, and the industry that mines, extracts, and processes the chemical element is poised to grow. But it also faces a host of challenges from environmentalists, indigenous groups, and government regulators. Although lithium reserves are distributed widely across the globe, the U.S. is home to just one active lithium mine in Nevada. The element is critical to development of rechargeable lithium-ion batteries that are seen as key to reducing climate-changing carbon emissions created by cars and other forms of transportation. Worldwide demand for lithium was about 350,000 tons in 2020, but industry estimates project demand will go up to six times greater by 2030. New and potential lithium mining and extracting projects are in various stages of development in states, including Maine, North Carolina, California, and Nevada. We own, or had owned, the lithium space for a long time, but we forfeited it to China. Much of the world's lithium comes from South America and Australia, and China dominates worldwide supply chain for lithium-ion batteries. The U.S. produces less than 2% of the world's supply of lithium, although it has about 4% of the reserves. The largest reserves in the world are in Chile. Expanding domestic lithium production would involve open pit mining or brine extraction, which involves pumping a mineral-rich brine to the surface and processing it. Opponents, including the Sierra Club, have raised concerns that the projects could harm sacred indigenous lands, and jeopardize the fragile ecosystems and wildlife. But the projects could also benefit the environment in the long run by getting fossil fuel burning cars off the road. Lithium, the lightest metal on earth, was discovered by Swedish chemist Johan Afwerdsen more than 200 years ago. Interest in lithium has exploded in recent years because of its use in rechargeable batteries, for electric and hybrid cars, lawnmowers, power tools, and more. Lithium batteries also power laptops and cell phones.
Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. King B, the second microphone and explainer. One of the things we're going to talk about today is actually uh, it's a technology that's been around for a while. It's microphones. And they can call a mic for short if you're really familiar with them. Yes. Marty Winston joins me now. And Marty, you have a microphone that that uh, that came in for review for you. And it's pretty remarkable. I'll go to it in a minute. I'm talking now into my professional audio technical mm-hmm. mic. You know, I can get very close and sound like this. Yeah. Or I can back up here. It's still pretty good. And, you know, it, it's all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, because it's a cardioid mic, a condenser mm-hmm. mic. Cardioid mm-hmm. means heart-shaped, which means it's only going to hear my side of the mic. It's going to ignore what's behind it. Sure. And con- condenser is a way to make it very, very sensitive. Yes. Now, those are important because the next mic that you hear will not be different. It will be cardioid and condenser, but it is a different mic, different characteristics, and a much lower price point. It, You guys, you know, you're on the Teams meetings. You're Some of you are podcasting. You're doing mic, mic work for a lot of stuff that wasn't part of your work five years ago. Sure, yeah. So yeah. This, is, this is going to be relevant. Uh, give me a second. I'd like to change. Sure. Now, through the magic of radio, he's uh, going over to the other microphone. And uh, we'll also do an example of uh, kind of that cardioid feature. We'll have him talk into the back of the microphone at, at some point here. All right. So, Marty, so you're on this this new microphone. Allegedly, yes. Allegedly, <laughs> yes. So so now the... Uh, it's, now this, this is in the front. The, the microphone has a body that looks a little bit like the bottom of a junior bowling pin. Yes, it, it comes up to a circle that looks a little bit like a marker light on a semi, all in black with mesh. Mm-hmm. But it's not about what it looks like. Mics have never been about what they look like. No, no. Now, I'm at the front of the mic, and this is me close talking like I did on the other mic. Yeah. And this is me from about a foot away. So that's it in the one case, right? Yeah. The, the distance sound is i'll note the distance sound a foot away is pretty close there's a little bit of variation between the two microphones the close up on that one that that's beautiful though i love yeah, that it is, isn't yeah. it though now yeah. here's close up on this one while i turned around and tried talking in the back yeah all of a sudden it sounds very hollow there it's, yes now if i back up i'm also at the back of the mic here yeah and i can talk a little louder to bring it up but it's still not as good as talking more softly in the front again. Yeah. So now, so a lot of that, a lot of what we got for the sound when you had it turned yeah. backwards was for the people in the, at home because we've got that that heart shaped pattern, the old fashioned, uh, you know, fancy, uh, you know, just the yeah. the nice little loop. Uh, he's, the directionality. The direct. Yeah, it's directional. And what he's what we're getting of his sound is really the bounce off of the walls. The sound from his voice going to the wall and then coming back and hitting the microphone. That's or in, the, or in this case, a it. big screen monitor. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that, we'll, we'll keep it on this uh, mic through the segment at least. There is another kind of mic we don't have here yet. If Hillary is listening, you know I want to review that one. It, <laughs> <laughs> this is a specific person who she is absolutely actually. I don't know if you know this, Marty. She was actually my first CES interview. 
the first person I ever interviewed at well, CES. Thanks for telling me. I'll send her a condolence card. Oh, oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> uh, Hillary is uh, she. She's wonderful. She was with Blue Microphone for a long time. She, yeah, yeah, and she's now with two brands with other people who spun out of Blue Microphone called Five Twelve, mm-hmm. and which which is the Austin. Uh, area code okay uh, and the other one's called warm and there are different price points and different kinds of uh, approaches to microphones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, their high-end stuff is wonderful and th- what i want to mention is a different non-condenser technology called dynamic microphones yes and those were kind of like a speaker in reverse with a coil and a magnet sure and because of the way they work really tiny sounds like plumbing in the background don't have enough sound energy to get into Mm -hmm, the mic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it cuts off those little tiny annoying background sounds and for a lot of you doing podcasting and a lot of you doing teams meetings in office environments a higher quality dynamic mic might make you sound more dynamic (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, as a matter of fact that's what i'm on right now i'm uh okay i'm on one of the more expensive dynamic microphones but yes um uh if you want to reject a lot of the sound that's around you uh the condenser though does have its advantages as you've demonstrated while you're while you've been working with this uh you did it visually but i'll describe it it's got a wide pickup area if you if you talk off axis, so so I'm going to move off axis just a, a just a few inches. You can hear that my voice dropped out. And you I'll do don't. the same. I'm on center now. I'm off center and coming back, and now yeah. I'm off center again. Yeah, and it it it's very minor changes in the sound. So there's a lot to say for both types of microphones. Well, Mike can be your friend. Just learn to get along. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh man! So so uh, what what what's the brand on that? I don't think we mentioned that. I'm sorry. Yes, that's important to mention. This is a King B2 from Neat Microphones, which has a oh a, a, a link to uh, Turtle Beach, Voyetra Turtle Beach. Turtle Beach really? has some of the okay. Some of the tech early in the PC era. You remember? Yeah, yeah. My first sound card, a uh, dedicated sound card, was a Turtle Beach. The tur- Turtle Beach has been people with a lot of loyalty to audio yeah as for now this is benjamin rockwell and that's marty winston you're listening to computer talk radio thank you ben and thank you marty the 46th annual trenton computer festival also known as tcf 2022 was held last saturday it was a free virtual online event on tcf-nj.org. The theme of the festival was using technology to disrupt environmental change. There were over 50 talks on 10 concurrent tracks. All the sessions were recorded and video podcasts of each talk is being prepared and notice of available streams will be posted. The list of scheduled topics is listed on the homepage of the festival website tcf-nj.org. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Since most club meetings are online, you are most welcome to attend any of the online meetings. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. 
The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, April 1st. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. Westchester PC Users Group has a presentation on cyber hygiene. Thursday, April the 7th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And their website is wpcug.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, April the 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Their website is limac.org. King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, April the 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. at the Park Plaza Restaurant. Location is 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. The phone number to confirm is 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation on Audacity, an open-source audio editing app. Thursday, April the 14th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. And the website is nyacc.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group has a meeting on Thursday, April the 28th. Meeting time is at 6.45 p.m. Virtual meeting via Zoom. And their website is bcug.com. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.